0: So welcome everybody to the June edition of the McFarland's HR podcast. I'm Matthew Ramsey. I'm the senior knowledge lawyer in the employment team. And I'm delighted this month to have our first external guest. And what a guest we have. Anyone in the employment world who doesn't know the name of Paul Goulding should go out immediately and buy a copy of Employee Competition, which is unquestionably the leading textbook on team moves, non-competes, non-deals, confidential information, and all points in between. Paul practices from Blackstone Chambers. He is one of the big leading lights of the Employment Law Bar, and it's a great pleasure to welcome him
1: today. Hello, Paul. Hello, Matthew. Thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, I can't wait to hear myself speak after that.
0: It's very kind of you to give up your time, Paul. Shall we start then with just a sort of a a quick overview of of where we are? So we're going to be talking today about the government's proposed reform to non-competes. Which um, we flagged in last month's written HR briefing, and um, which um, we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail today. So, Paul, I mean, I thought that this had all gone away in 2016. Why has it suddenly so resurfaced?
1: Well, you weren't the only one to think it had gone away in 2016 and, uh, because the government told us it had gone away a short while after that. There was a government consultation back in 2016. Uh, what they termed a call for evidence on reforming non-competes. And then we were told in 2018 that the government had uh, considered the responses to that call for evidence and decided that the common law worked terribly well in the era of non-competes and they didn't need to do anything about it. However, in early May of this year, the government suddenly announced its intention to legislate to ban non-competes lasting longer than three months. So um, there's been a long lead up to this, but uh, that is where we are now. The government has lobbed a hand grenade into the law on restrictive covenants and non-competes, and we're waiting to see what happens next. I was reading in preparation
0: for this discussion, the response to the original consultation in, in 2020 from the Employment Lawyers Association, which you chaired. I think it's fair to say that that response was Pretty critical of, of the suggestion that a, a three month cap on non competes might be introduced, but of course that was only one of the one of the proposals that the government at that point was considering. W- why do you think they've come down on the on, on with this decision rather than a, an outright ban or a, a requirement for employers to pay for any non compete period?
1: Well, you're right. The government having initially called for evidence in 2016 and responded in the way that I uh, summarised a moment ago, then launched another consultation in December 2020. At that stage put forward two options for reform of non-competes. Uh, option number one was what they called mandatory compensation, which was the idea that non-competes would only be enforceable if the employee was paid for the duration of the non-compete. And that's the law in some other countries, such as Germany and France for example. The government advanced what it described as a complementary measure to mandatory compensation which was a limit on non-competes, a statutory cap. So it was floated but rather as a fallback position it seemed to me in that 2020 consultation. The second option that the government put forward in 2020 was an outright ban and in support of that the government quoted the example of California, which is often quoted in this context where non-competes are and have for a long time been banned. And California is often upheld as a a place of great uh, innovation and tech startups. And the government was suggesting that that was a possible way to go. Now you're right, there were a lot of responses to those two proposals. And I was involved in putting together the response on behalf of the Employment Lawyers Association. Again, really suggesting what we had said back in 2016, which is the common law works very well, as it is at the moment, because judges weigh up what are the business interests that employers try to protect by non-competes and examine whether the particular covenant in question goes beyond what's necessary to protect that business interest. So judges can respond on a case-by-case basis, assessing the merits of, of each individual case So it was things then went quiet for quite a while um, for two to three years until the government suddenly made this uh, announcement. And it's curious, not only because they decided not to adopt either of the two main options which they put forward, mandatory compensation or an outright ban, uh, but this fallback position, which is effectively a statutory cap on the length of non-competes. And it's all the more interesting, I think, because they did put forward in that consultation paper some different periods for the statutory cap. Three months, six months, and 12 months were floated previously. And in the government's recent response to the consultation, it noted that amongst those who responded, the majority view was if there is to be a statutory cap, 12 months... Is the preferred period?
0: Presumably, the the cap would be uh, to reflect the, the sort of common understanding of the of the common law maximum that's likely to be enforced at the moment.
1: Yes, I think that's right. Occasionally, but rarely in employment contracts, will the court enforce longer than a twelve month non compete period. Um, the second most popular was six months, and the least popular was was three months, and that is the one that the government has gone for so it's a bit of you know wisdom of solomon of between these two options coming down somewhere you could say in the middle uh, neither option has won out but this fallback position of three month statutory cap is what the government says it intends to go ahead with
0: and so how, let's have a look at that we obviously haven't seen draft legislation yet but we've we've got quite a, a detailed account of what that legislation is likely to look like um we, we've talked um about non-competes, that that's obviously just one type of post-termination restraint that can be imposed. Is it right then that it's only non-competition provisions that are, that are going to be affected?
1: That's what the government has said. So only those covenants that prohibit an employee from working for somebody else for a limited period of time after the termination of their employment, pure non-competes. Of course, there are other types of restrictive covenants, non-solicit and non-deal covenants are pretty common, preventing departing employees from soliciting or dealing with customers with whom they have dealt for the past 12 or 24 months, something of that kind. Another type of covenant is what I tend to call non-poach covenants, so employees leaving and going back and trying to poach other employees, former colleagues. To leave and join those covenants are not going to be subject to the statutory cap uh, so they'll still be in principle unlimited in time it's only pure non-competes which are going to be made subject of the government's legislation legislation i should say if it ever appears i think it's you know worth pointing out that in the government statement in early may it notably said we'll introduce legislation when parliamentary time allows and that could turn out to be significant. Primary legislation will be necessary to introduce this change. So whilst the government has floated it in the context of other post-Brexit measures, a number of the post-Brexit measures can be dealt with by way of secondary legislation, which is much more a speedier process. This statutory cap on non-competes will require an act of parliament. And I think it must be questionable as to whether the government will devote parliamentary time in the 12 or 15 months leading up to a general election to this rather esoteric measure that I doubt is gonna change the outcome of the next election. So it might fall by the wayside, but if it is introduced and there'll be the parliamentary process to, to go through and we'll get a chance to examine the drafting, then it is said that it will apply only to non-compete clauses
0: uh, and uh, only non-competes in in employment contracts or, or or i mean one often sees these kinds of restrictive measures in uh, for instance an LLP, llp agreement or in a remuneration document long-term incentive plans those kinds of things are those affected or we're we just talking about you know pure employment contracts like the one i've got
1: Yes, uh, that's what the government has said, just contracts of employment and worker contracts, or sometimes called Limby contracts. I'm not sure there'll be that many of those with restrictive covenants of this nature in them. So those other contracts that you mentioned, whether business sale agreements, partnership agreements, shareholder agreements, LLP agreements, uh, other joint venture agreements, in which one often finds Uh, non-competes will apparently not be covered by the legislation. So I think if this comes into force, we might see consideration being given to putting non-competes into those other agreements or for senior employees in particular, having them sign up to shareholder agreements or LLP agreements rather than pure employment contracts and of course, that also leaves that whole area that you've also mentioned of deferred remuneration schemes, long-term incentive plans, share option plans, restrictive stock plans, things of that kind, where we often see non-competes either as what we call direct restraints, prohibitions on people uh, working for competitors, or forfeiture provisions, whereby people forfeit their right to unvested stock in the event That they go off and work for a competitor. And I think all of those areas, according to the government's current proposals, will remain untouched by the statutory cap. So I think in practice, we're likely to see a greater focus on those types of agreements to ensure non-competition rather than employment contracts.
0: That seems a slightly perverse approach by by the government, doesn't it? To to single out one particular type of agreement, knowing that the same type of wording appears elsewhere in the world of work more broadly but choosing not to address that broader category of documents at all
1: it is odd although i think to address non-competes in all those other contracts would be horrendously complicated uh, and i think the government has chosen the the simpler option in terms of legislating but whether that is simple to apply in practice i'm somewhat doubtful
0: Understood. And so let's assume that um, the legislation is implemented um, and comes into force and and, uh, a couple of months later, we're in the High Court looking at a contract in which somebody has a a 12-month non-compete and we're arguing over its enforceability. Presumably, the the court will still need to look at this, the, the typical tests for enforce- enforceability that we're, we've grown accustomed to, to looking at. You know, is it uh, protecting legitimate business interest? Is it going no further than is reasonably necessary to do that? Is that the first stage? And then they just say, well, the 12-month covenant is on the, in principle enforceable, but we're only going to give you the three-month cap. Or, or is it just that you've got a 12-month restriction and that can't be enforced so the whole thing falls away completely?
1: Well, I think for, I mean, the answer to that question will depend on how the legislation is drafted, of course. And uh, I I think the indications in the government documents at the moment are that uh, all covenants in excess of three months will be unenforceable. Now, if that line is followed, I imagine that, um, you know, if one were in court and there's a 12-month covenant, the legislation has come into effect, it will be a non-starter for an employer because the covenant will simply be rendered unenforceable. But, I mean, it's quite interesting here to compare the position in the US because there are similar developments going on in the US where the Federal Trade Commission, which is responsible for anti-competitive policy, has in January of this year announced its proposal, which is to ban non-competes completely on a federal-wide basis. But what the FTC has made clear is that there will be a period of time for employers to comply with that rule when it comes into force, thereby enabling employers to introduce Uh, different restrictions, beefed up non-solicits, for example, because all non-competes will be rendered unenforceable uh, if the FTC rule is put into effect. So the FTC has been clear that that will be the effect of its rule. The government here has been slightly less clear, but I think that probably it will have the same effect, which is all non-competes in excess of three months will be unenforceable but I think because of that, the government will have to give employers in the UK a period of time to assess its, uh, to review its contracts in the light of the new law coming in, amend its contracts, and possibly substitute three-month non-competes for longer non-competes which are currently in contracts.
0: So presumably, then, if the if the American and the the UK new proposals do become law, clients on both sides of the Atlantic will face a pretty large. Exercise of in in agreeing consensual variations to the contract across their whole workforces.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a period at the moment of uncertainty because already I'm seeing quite a few clients who are saying, "You know, well, what what should we do now that these um, proposals have been made?" Before the UK announced its proposal, I was seeing global businesses with a US headquarters who were starting to consider choosing English law to govern their non-competes for fear that uh, non-competes are gonna be banned in the US. Now that's a much less attractive option if um, under English law, non-competes are gonna be limited to three months. But there is that uncertainty at the moment. And I think in the main, unless businesses are intent for other reasons in rewriting their contracts, it's better to wait and see what happens to the UK government proposal before anticipating it and uh, changing non-competes, bringing them down to three months, better to wait and see. But if the legislation is introduced and the statutory cap is in place, there'll be a massive exercise on the part of employers in reviewing their contracts and where they have non-competes longer than three months, seeking to substitute uh, three-month non-competes for for longer non-competes. It's interesting, in the uh, one of the documents the government published last month, the impact assessment, uh, looking at what this proposal would mean in practice, they estimate that 5 million uh, employees and workers in the UK are subject to non-competes. And if that is correct, and a large number of those non-competes are in excess of three months, there'll be a huge redrafting exercise that will have to take place.
0: Uh, and you've already said that employers will 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 look at alternative methods of trying to protect their legitimate interests confidential information their client connections and so on how do you think they're likely to go about that is it just that you know every employer will have to make its own decision
1: well i think one trend we're likely to see is the greater use of garden leave and uh, combined with longer notice periods because if you know non-compete's are limited to 3 months then an option for protecting particularly confidential information, keeping an employees going off to a competitor out of the market for a period of time, is to have a long notice period with the option of putting the employee on garden leave for some or all of that notice period. Now, that's a, not a complete panacea, because the courts still tend to say that in you have to justify a period of garden leave in a similar way to that in which you have to justify enforcing a post-termination restriction, such as a non-compete. But your starting position is better, I think, if the individual you're seeking to prevent going off to work for a competitor is still your employee being paid a salary. So I think that is one trend that we will see if the statutory cap comes into place, reviewing contracts, and perhaps where somebody is on a, a six-month notice period plus a six-month non-compete at the moment, it might be better to just put them on to either 9 plus 3 or 12 plus 0 and uh, using garden leave in that way. It's possible also that employers will look to strengthen non-solicit, non-deal covenants have them for perhaps longer than they are currently, or at least review their drafting, to make sure they're as watertight as possible, because more reliance might be placed on those sort of covenants in the absence of long non-competes.
0: I think that, that's that got to be right, hasn't it? And it, it strikes me then that it's, it's a, again, a, a slightly odd approach by the government, because if if employers take the obvious step that you've just outlined of reviewing their notice periods, their garden leave Causes uh, making greater use of that to keep people inverted commas, out of the market the policy that underpins the government's desire to reform this area which is to free up competition allow employees to deploy their skills more liberally across the the, the economy will be fatally undermined and you wonder why the government hasn't simultaneously proposed a, a cap on notice periods
1: yes uh, it might have the opposite effect to what the government says it it intends because of course the the longer somebody's on garden leave, they generally can't do any work of any kind. Whereas if they're sitting out under a non-compete, they might delay going to work for a competitor, but they could do other work, whether voluntary or paid work, in the meantime. Uh, So it could have that uh, opposite effect. Uh, And it it could generally undermine the government's aim, which it says is to unleash innovation. Because one thing we know, and it's a view Held by many in the tech sector is that in order to set up new tech startups, for example, to encourage investors to invest in those businesses, what is crucial is to know that their intellectual property rights are protected. So I think that the proposal, if it comes forward in legislation, will meet a lot of opposition from the business community. Um, who take a different view uh, as to what the likely results are than the government does.
0: And presumably that focus on intellectual property we'll see in that contract review process that we talked about. Employers focus very heavily on their intellectual property drafting. Presumably that I know you've, you've mentioned uh, before we, we came on air that in other jurisdictions like California, there's been a, a greater use of uh, litigation around intellectual property rights almost as a sort of a a compensation for for the lack of ability to enforce governance.
1: That seems to be the experience of a lot of Californian lawyers that I speak to, that uh, there's what you might call displaced litigation or litigation around other terms and other obligations to try and prevent uh, competition or limit competition By employees, So not only in what you might think of traditionally as intellectual property rights, but more litigation, for example, around uh, pre-termination breaches. You know, if employees are going off to work for a competitor looking to whether whilst they have still in their previous employment, they've breached obligations by uh, encouraging other employees to go with them. Uh, More litigation around trade secrets, removal of trade secrets, misuse of confidential information. Uh, litigation around team moves, uh, I think that we uh, are likely to see more litigation in those areas if the statutory cap comes into force than perhaps we have done historically in the UK.
0: And you mentioned um, already that American clients, before the English proposal was on the table, were contemplating using English law as the governing law of their employment contracts to, to Get, a, get around the, the proposed total ban in, in America. Presumably, clients ought to be thinking about other jurisdictions now, not America, not the UK, but perhaps Switzerland or somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I, I think there will uh, need to be consideration given to choosing other legal systems that uh, are, if you're an employer, that are more sympathetic to enforcing covenants. I've mentioned this kind of standoff between the US and the UK position. It's possible that the FTC's proposed rule doesn't take effect. There's a lot of opposition to it in the US. There are There's already talk of legal challenges on the basis that it's beyond the FTC's powers. Now, we could end up with a situation where the statutory cap of three months is introduced in the UK But the rule from the FTC banning non-competes doesn't take effect in the US. In those circumstances, I could see a lot of businesses with UK offices choosing US law, some state law in the US, such as New York or Massachusetts or Illinois or Delaware that one often sees chosen to govern non-competes. Now, that gives rise to lots of challenges in terms of choice of law and whether that's enforceable, and if so, how in the UK. But I think that is one possible future route.
0: So we're all going to have to become experts on jurisdiction and conflicts of laws again. Oh, dear, this is terrible Ah, news.
1: Well, come (laughs) on, that's great fun Eric, and raises lots of interesting questions, of course. If, on the other hand, the statutory cap comes in in the UK and the rule banning non-competes comes in in the US, then apart from these other measures that we've discussed, like longer notice periods and use of garden leave, I think businesses might want to consider other sympathetic jurisdictions so far as enforcing non-competes are concerned, and those which were built on common law systems and English law, but which won't be subject to the statutory cap might come to the fore. So Cayman Islands, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, those sorts of jurisdictions might be more preferable in terms of choosing their law to govern non-competes, enforceable uh, against employees working in part at least. In the UK.
0: Goodness me, it's a, a brave new world. Wonderful. Well, look, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I'd planned to talk about. Is there anything else that um, you want to say as a sort of final word?
1: I think it really is a matter of watching this space. You know, the, the, it seems as if the tectonic plates on non competes are moving for, uh, across a number of jurisdictions. Uh, for example, in Canada, Ontario, the largest province, introduced a statute restricting the use of non-competes last year. I think that hasn't been followed in other provinces in Canada. In Australia, recently, the relevant government minister has asked for a review to be carried out into non-competes in that country. So we can see, particularly in these common law jurisdictions, a wider review of non-competes and whether they take effect anti-competitively. That is underway so it's fascinating from that point of view it's slightly unnerving i think for businesses in particular not knowing what the future landscape is so far as this is concerned but there are are things that will happen in the next few months uh, and i think you know it would be advisable for those working in this area employment lawyers hr specialists to follow the debate on the ftc's proposal in the US and uh, just to await government legislation in the UK. And then if it comes forth before the next general election to really focus on the drafting. And I'm sure there'll be at that stage, a lot of lobbying underway with parliamentarians to try and ensure that if it is to come into force, it does so in the way that's least disruptive to businesses.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Paul, for sharing your thoughts with us um, on the on the McFarland's podcast this month. As always, I'll talk to the listeners for a moment and say, if you have any questions about your own organisation's drafting and would like to discuss them, and obviously feel free to, to reach out to your usual contact point at the firm. Thank you again, Paul. It's been a great pleasure having you with us this
1: month. Pleasure. Thank you, Matthew.